everybody. Welcome to Pillars. I'm your host, Dylan Bowman. And today I'm joined by Brittany Peterson, the ultra assassin from Idaho. Of course, Brittany is just coming off an incredibly impressive and convincing win at the Black Canyon 100K just a couple weekends ago, which gave us the perfect opportunity to sit down for a chat. And most of you will probably know I did the same thing with men's champion, though that was just a quick 20-minute race debrief because Tyler had been on the show before. Brittany has not, so we went a little bit more long form, which allowed me to get to know Brittany a lot better, which is great. So in addition to the Black Canyon race, which of course we talk about a lot, we also discuss Brittany's background and history as an athlete. We talk about her day job as an occupational therapist, her training and versatility as an athlete, her progression in the sport from going from chasing cutoffs at Leadville back in 2013 to being one of the best in the sport today. It really is a great story. And honestly, I am just super, super impressed with Brittany after having this conversation. She's obviously got great talent, but she also trains and executes like a total pro, which makes me think she has an even brighter future ahead. And there is a lot of great knowledge in this hour-long conversation. Before we get to it, I want to please encourage those who enjoy the show to please download and subscribe to our app, where you'll get early releases of the podcasts and our YouTube videos, in addition to all the other great information and inspirational content we've got up there to help make you a better trail runner. Honestly, your subscription is really the only way that I'll be able to keep doing the show long term. So please consider it if you can. And thank you so, so, so much to those who have subscribed already. I am pretty committed, at least for now, to keeping the show listener supported and ad free. It's something that I believe in. It's something that I do for other creators. And it's something that I hope you'll consider if you value what we do and can spare it. Okay, on with the show. Please welcome Black Canyon 100K champion, the great Brittany Peterson. Brittany Peterson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, I've been a a fan of yours for a while now since you got into the sport. I think we have a ton to talk about. Of course, you coming off a, a phenomenal, super impressive victory just this past weekend at the Black Canyon 100K. And uh, while we'll get into more detail into how that race played out, I'd love to to learn just generally how, how you're feeling a few days removed from such an awesome performance. How are you feeling mentally, physically, all those, uh, those things as you decompress from an amazing race? I think, I mean, it's, it's funny because just totally still on cloud nine as far as super jazzed and energized, but at the same time, like physically just depleted and so tired. (laughs) So it's like adrenaline pushes me on, but I'm taking long naps and sleeping like 10 hours a night, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so necessary. It's so funny because I've experienced the same thing, obviously myself and just like coming off a race where things really click and you feel like, you know, you, you've sort of, uh, figured it out and, uh, 
you know, the impulse sometimes is to kind of get right back into it. And it's important to respect those naps uh, in the days and weeks after such a deep, mm-hmm. deep effort. So again, yeah, we'll get into more detail into the race. I'm glad you're still on cloud nine. Um, but uh, yeah, as I sort of said before we pressed record here, you know, I had Tyler on on Sunday, the men's champion at Black Canyon. We just did a quick debrief, but being as this is your first appearance on the show and, uh, you know, just the fact that I don't know you as well, I'd love to go longer form with you, get to know you a little bit better. And I think the best place to start is just a simple sort of introduction to your background, where you grew up, uh, you know, what, uh, you were into as a kid, uh, how running factored into your life and, and sort of bring us to present day. Yeah, so I grew up in the northern part of Minnesota. So actually, my high school was right on the border of a state park. And so my, you know, kind of got into running through friends in like seventh grade, you know, mess around with hurdles and, you know, who knows what. And then found my way to cross country in the longer distances in like ninth grade. And my coach in high school was just phenomenal at getting us out on the trails and really just you know, the adventuring part of running, he, he had the philosophy of longer distances. So we were doing, you know, in the 20 mile runs as high schoolers, um, you know, obviously working up to that. Wow. Uh, but a lot of it was just like, you know, getting in. I mean, one of my favorite workouts was a Saturday run. We'd get super deep into the park and we would like wade through this Creek, you know, that at times is like up over our waists and like just basically run for miles through this Creek and then have to make it all the way back out. So it was just, you know, stuff like that, that really maybe fostered that ability to just get lost while I was running and not mm. really drone on about the hours and hours you're out there. Cause it was really, it was just about goofing around and having fun. Um, so that really, I think plays a, a lot into the runner that I am now. Um, you know, I took, took a break, obviously, I mean, ran collegiately, wasn't anything super special. Like ran in Duluth, um, mm-hmm. for a D3 school at the time dabbled in road marathons, you know, did my first marathon at, um, I was 17, um, and then took a break for college and then got back into road stuff. And that's when I ended up for grad school, I relocated to, um, the Boise area in Idaho. And I think that's when I really got back into regular running, um, and then found the joys of specific trail running and really looking into ultras yeah. Um, just cause like the timing, you know, just met the right group of people. Um, I think at that time trail running and ultras was really starting to boom. I remember going to a race, a 50 mile race in Montana where a handful of my friends did it. I had gotten injured, so I didn't have the training. So I just went as support and they were, you know, like the five of my friends that did it were like the only people under 40 or 50 at the time. It was just <laughs> yeah. that was the culture of ultra running. Totally. And now yeah. it's just so, so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess just a couple key races in Idaho that really my coach now, like I remember having a conversation with him, um, reflecting back on when we had first met and just kind of how my like more professional running began. You know, he's like, when you look at your college times and you know, whatever, he's like, 
it's crazy to see how that translates into a mountain race where I think it was really just, I found my potential as I got into those 50 Ks in the beginning and then just the more like rugged terrain or bigger climbs and stuff like that. Yeah. So cool. And there's so much that I want to go into in that just little introduction. And uh, you mentioned coaches twice. And I'm curious if your childhood coach who took you on those longer runs and had you sort of wading through the the riverbeds, if you guys are still in touch, if he has any idea of the success that you've had in trail and ultra ultra running and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, takes any pride in the influence that he's had, you know, in the success that you've had. You know, that's something we did kind of drift apart. Um, and it's been one of those, I have friends that are kind of still in touch with him. And it's something that is definitely on my to-do list of like reconnecting. Cause I brought him yeah. up in several podcasts where it's like, really, when I look at like, who am, who am I today as a runner? I can't help but go back to those days and really see like, he was a huge part of it. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, you got to reach out to him. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think you could ever underestimate just how much, uh, happiness that would probably bring to a person like that, you know, who's devoted his life to helping young athletes develop. And clearly you've, uh, you know, achieved things that very few people have. And, uh, it seems like that was probably a pretty critical part of, you know, the development from the young athlete that you were into, you know, the amazing mountain and trail and super versatile athlete that you are, which is another thing that I want to get into. So, you know, you touched on the fact that you, lived in Boise for a while. You Pocatello, Idaho is your home now, right? Can you talk about, about, you know, maybe that move and, and what Pocatello is like in general? Cause I've never been up there, but, uh, I know that it's, it's well known for its trails and its outdoor access. Yeah. I mean, I, I lived in Boise for like seven years and we kind of joke in Idaho, you know, Boise is like the the pivotal part of Idaho. And before that, you know, I was always like, oh, who would ever want to go to Pocatello? It's it's the armpit of Idaho. <laughs> but, but now that I live here, it's like, okay, yeah, the city is not anything super cool. Mm-hmm. There's a university, which is where I work. And I think that livens up the community a lot. Mm-hmm. But really, like the outdoor recreation in Pocatello is phenomenal. And when I go back to Boise, I tell my friends that, you know, like the mountain bikers and the trail runners, I'm just like, man, Pocatello trails are so much better. I probably shouldn't be saying this (laughs) because Boise is growing so much, but uh, Pocatello, I mean, I joke with people like we see more moose than people on the trails. Really? What's the population there? How many people live in Pocatello? I'm so bad at no. I mean, we have like kind of two communities. I want to say it's like 20,000 that I'm probably way off, but it it has enough, but it's certainly not, not big by any means. Mm -hmm. So, Um, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but like you you spoke about in your sort of intro into who you are and your athletic development, you know, that you sort of started as, uh, or you post-collegiately, you were focusing a little bit on roads. At what point did you get more focused on like trail and, and mountain running? Was it when you arrived in Boise or was it in Pocatello once you had more access to the more alpine terrain? Or when did you get acquainted with, with the mountains? Because part of the thing that I think is so interesting about you is that you know, you sort of got your, your start in in sky running, you know, you grew up in Northern Minnesota, 
a place that's very flat, you know, where there's no mountains and you're a ver super versatile athlete. You've done great at Western States. You've done great at, uh, at black Canyon, but you're also like super good in the mountains. And I'm curious where, where that, uh, skill was developed. If it was kind of in Boise or Pocatello, or when did you start getting into the Alpine? I think it started in Boise, um, that group of friends that kind of just really started segueing me in, or, you know, opened the door for me to really start looking more at trails. Um, I had a friend that, you know, she had really wanted to do a hundred mile race. This is, you know, me in a different life. Cause you know, my first hundred was Leadville in 2013 Okay. and I ran it barely making the cutoffs and just barely finishing did um, you really? Oh, I yeah. have to, I have to hear more about yeah. this, but if I keep going. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, you know, I, I had done a couple of local 50 K's, um, in Idaho where, I mean, you get out of like Boise has some good elevation, uh, but pretty buffed out trails, but some of the main races that had come about around that time, you know, in central Idaho, where we have a lot more mountains. So I think, I was getting into that direction of the steeper terrain, the bigger climbs, um, but still, you know, doing all my training in Boise, but going up, you know, so then I, I ended up signing up for Leadville, um, didn't have a coach at that time. So went from, you know, marathon to um, my first hundred K ever, which was a survival <laughs> and then a 50 miler. So I did the silver rush 50 in Leadville to kind of start acclimating to elevation and all of that and then did Leadville in August and so basically I was incredibly overtrained and borderline hurt and walked the last at least 20 miles of Leadville with sharp wow. pain wow. Um, but I mean just I mean tolerated the elevation and just you know coming from like took some time time to get more in the mountains um for all of that so I think that really developed you know who I could be as an athlete and then got better coaching and figured out how to train and figured out the world of hundred K's and hundred milers in general, um, mm -hmm. to then do a little bit better at it and enjoy it more. Cause actually Leadville, I mean, I look back at it and it's just, I joked, you know, leading into Western States in 2019, you know, that I did Leadville in 2013 and I was still recovering through 2019 because that was kind of a traumatic yeah. challenging experience. Yeah. That's that's so funny and I mean I identify with a lot of that too because Leadville was my first 100 miler but I came from like no running background and and this is one of the sort of like the theories that I have about the sport. You know, people always say sort of like, you know, your debut 100, you're sort of behind the eight ball. But I often think that having that ignorance is like a strength and I totally outperform my experience or my fitness at my first hundred mile race. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I had no running experience, you know, and I definitely was not overtrained like you were. So I, I guess, uh, I I'd love to hear a little bit more about this Leadville 100, because it seems like it would have been obviously very easy for you to quit. So I'm curious why you ended up keep, you know, kept uh, plugging away and ultimately made the finish line. And why was it that, you know, you didn't swear off ultras altogether afterwards? Yeah. Did it, did it just leave you hungry to improve? Uh, or did you have a moment where you were like, what the hell are people doing this, this stupid uh, sport for? 
there was definitely combinations of both of those things. Um, at the time, so there was actually two people in the Boise community that were doing the Grand Slam that year. Uh, and so one of our local running stores that does a lot for just ultra running and just the community, they were having like a little series for these two guys doing the grand slam after every hundred they'd come and everyone was around. And so I was going to those and the one, you know, whatever the one before Leadville, they're like, Oh, Brittany Peterson is doing Leadville. So I think I had a little bit of, you know, like, Oh, these guys are doing it. I want to be able to go back to this experience and, you know, and, and have a success under my belt as well. And then I actually, I was at Leadville in 2012 with that friend that kind of convinced me to do Leadville. Um, and she ended up actually, we had two people that I knew that were running and both of them ended up missing cutoffs. Mm. So I think it was kind of that, you know, seeing the people that were chasing cutoffs, seeing, um, just how much, you know, devastation there was and and carnage and just all the things that can happen. But then also seeing the the inspiration stories out of it of the people that worked through that. And I remember, I mean, after finishing Leadville, going to like the golden hour and yeah. watching the people just barely making the cutoff and still finishing, like I was a blubbering mess. Yeah. You know, where it's like that's so inspiring. So I think. I think I had a little bit of that, you know, pressure of like people and not expectations, but expectations on myself, but mm -hmm. then just that kind of, you know, will and determination to not quit and see what I could do. I mean, cause that was, I didn't sleep a wink before that. It yeah. was like, this is the first time I really don't know if I can do this, Yeah, which is kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories in, in my sort of uh, history of following the sport. And that is Pam Smith at Western States. I can't remember the years now. I think she, she must've won the race in, in 2014 or 2015, but the year before she won the race, she was, you know, a 29 hour and change finisher at Western States, of course, like well below her expectations, but she kept plugging along. She kept chasing the cutoffs, ultimately got a proud, proud finish. And then the next year comes and wins the damn race. It's like the coolest, yeah. coolest story ever. And your description of the finish line at, uh, at Leadville, of course, as I mentioned, it's my first hundred. I ran it in 2010 and 2011. And in 2011, my friend, uh, Rocky Crager from Aspen, he was chasing the cutoffs. I had finished second place, went home, tossed and turned, pretended to sleep for a little while, came back to the finish line. And, you know, he finished in, I think 28 high or 29 low, something like that. And just giving him a big hug at the finish, both of us just weeping like children, even though we're, we're grown men, it's just the <laughs> most amazing thing ever. So it's, it's really cool to, to hear your story of chasing those cutoffs and, uh, I, which I had no idea about and, and now understanding where you are as an athlete and, and how that potentially shaped your career. It's so cool. Um, speaking of career, I want to talk a little bit about your, your professional career. You referenced, you said you work at a university. Um, tell us about what you do professionally. I'm curious. Yeah. So I am an occupational therapist. Um, so when I lived in Boise, I worked at a rehab hospital, um, specializing in neurological dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, and then now I, I mean, a pretty demanding job. There's plenty of physical therapists out there and is, I mean, just OTPT similar fields. 
Um, now I'm working in academics. So I am faculty in an occupational therapy assistant program. Mm. So it's a nice blend of both worlds where I can still kind of live vicariously through my students as far as getting that patient care, you know, the feel goods and knowing how you're making an impact in your field. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, what occupational therapy is? Yeah. So, so many people have no idea. So, um, we always say like what occupies your time. Mm -hmm. So an occupational therapist is going to look at you getting back to being independent. So it can like with stroke rehab, um, it's looking at people being able to take care of themselves again, which can include like rehabilitating function in the upper body or just in general. Um, but then we look at the basic stuff of getting, you know, to the restroom, getting dressed, mm. but then it can travel up, you know, to cooking, driving, school. I mean, there's so many different places that we can specialize. There's pediatrics, there's, you know, hospice care, there's hand therapy, there's all sorts of different things. That's, that's so interesting. So you, you teach now, it sounds like. Yep. Cool. Yep. So how does that maybe inform your life as an athlete or, or provide balance to your life as an athlete? I mean, is it a demanding job? Do you work full time? How do you squeeze your training in and, and how does it, yeah. How does it balance, uh, Brittany, the athlete with Brittany, the, uh, the occupational therapist and teacher? Yeah, I am super, super lucky. I mean, cause I've, I've struggled with that, you know, like the, the, the game of comparison is an evil game where it's like, I could be training all day. And if I was a full-time athlete, but I also think, you know, we see that and we, t we've heard so many people talking about it of like, that's not always a better thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for me, I mean, again, like Leadville overuse injury, overtraining, like I have this background of susceptibility to overuse injuries. So really, I mean, my mileage is, you know, in the beginning was probably like 50 to 60 miles. Now I'm generally like 60 to 80 miles depending. Um, but I'm super lucky that I have that balance and I, I go back and forth on, you know, should I make changes or should I not? And my boss every single time, like we are willing to be flexible and I'm super, super lucky because my boss's boss, um, he's a physical therapist and he's in academics because he has kind of that dual life of, he was a, um, a rescue guide in the Tetons, you know, so super active outdoorsy athletic guy, super stout climber. Um, so he, like when I interviewed for my position, you know, the first half hour was talking about running and racing and outdoor stuff where he just understands. Um, so I'm really, really lucky where they, we sat down, you know, me and my, my two bosses and they both were basically like the only person limiting, limiting you is you like, we're getting mm -hmm. good feedback from your students you know, you're getting your stuff done. And until that changes, you know, you have all the flexibility you want. So I'm really, really lucky. Um, where like, like what, two years ago I did, um, CCC. So I think I was there for the first day of the semester and then I took off and I taught via zoom for two weeks, you know, while I'm over in Europe. So before it was cool, you were, you were teaching uh, yeah, on yeah. Zoom. Wow. <laughs> now it's just second nature. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You were ahead of your time. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Uh, well, thanks for kind of explaining that. I think it's important for people to kind of get to know you like as a 360 person, myself included, not knowing a ton about you before we sat down and you mentioned your training and, you know, it makes, I, I figured we'd get to it eventually, but it makes me want to kind of dive into it now. Um, 
you know, one of the things I've already mentioned this that I think is so interesting about you is just like your versatility and your ability to really compete and be like, you know, as a contender, no matter what, in terms of distance and terrain. And I think that's a pretty novel thing in the sport right now. You know, a lot of, you know, the guys and gals at the front end of the sport are either better at the longer distance races or better at the shorter distance races or better in the mountains or better on flat, but you can really, uh, compete on basically any terrain and, and any distance, which I really respect and admire about you. I'm curious, as we get into this sort of training subject matter, um, you've, like I said, you've, you've already mentioned your coaches a couple of times, you know, throughout your life as an athlete, who's your coach and, uh, maybe give us a glimpse into, you know, the 60 to 80 miles a week training that you guys do, what your, your focus is, what the philosophies are and, uh, yeah. And any other details you feel like are relevant. Yeah, I think, um, so what starting, probably the last four, nearly five years now, Paul Lind has been my coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a little aside, like Cody Lind is my boyfriend. Paul Lind is Cody's dad. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I knew Paul before I knew Cody. So kind ah, of a funny little triangle there. Nice. Um, and actually like when I moved, you know, obviously moved to Pocatello, that's where Cody was living and got out of the city of Boise. But I think that also kind of correlated when I started coaching with Paul, which then was about the time that I was really getting into bigger mountains. You know, I'd always go like central Idaho, there's the Sawtooth mountain range that everyone, you know, it's kind of the touristy, like famous part of Idaho mountains, but over on the side where Cody grew up um, and the Eastern part of the state, which is closer to Pocatello, there's some big gnarly mountains where that's where Paul and Cody, like that's their backyard and that's where they go all the time. So I think, I think that really the change of coach into having Paul really just brought that love that they have for bigger mountains, technical running. And that kind of pushed me. I mean, and then I think it complemented just growing up, like running like Minnesota, the Northern Minnesota trails are really gnarly with roots and rocks. And there is a lot of climbing. It's just obviously much smaller scale, you know, so I think it really tapped into some of the running I was used to, but just exemplified it and, and opened up the, the love that I have for the mountains. So, so I think that kind of was that, you know, post Leadville, you know, what am I doing? Recover, Uh, get through all that, figure out some potential connect with Paul. And then that's when my training really changed. Um, and I would say, so one thing with Paul, I mean, he's, he has, you know, Paul, I've talked about this before and, and Cody is talking about this a lot more, but Um, you know, Paul's dad and Cody's grandpa was, is Bob Lind, the original medical director for Western. So, you know, knowing that the Lind family just has a deep history with running and ultras and training. And I mean, so then to have Paul as a coach is pretty special. Yeah. Um, And he is just, he's really specific. So, you know, in, in the winter here are obviously I'm not in the mountains a whole lot. I'm really working on speed. So I think that, helps with that versatility. And I really like that aspect of, you know, you know, I was, I never considered myself fast in college. I mean, I, I never broke 19 in the 5k in college, you know, and I think I was plagued with a lot of injury and I just, I'm not a runner that should be doing short runs every weekend racing hard. Like I, I, you know, have too many injuries or 
just not my style. Like even in high school and college, I could run splits in the half marathon nearly as fast as my 5k, which is pretty depressing. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Some people are but just now, built for I mean, distance. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, I've PR'd, you know, I'm not the super, I'm not super fast, but like my PR in the 5k now is an 1804. So it's like a little wow. bit of me is I want to go break that 18 and you know, the former me would have never thought that was even feasible. So it just shows that Paul truly knows how to develop his athletes. And, and that in, and actually a friend of mine had said, you've always been that fast, but you just had to uncover and get to that speed, which, you know, warmed my heart as far as just identifying it. Like I was this slow, like D3, nothing in college, but here I am as a professional ultra runner that still has some speed. And I, uh, that's kind of cool to reflect on. Hell yeah. That's so cool. And I think a a great thing for people to hear, not only, you know, the fact that you can unlock these, uh, this potential later in your career with the right coaching, the right guidance, living in the right environment, but also the fact that you're training 60 to 80 miles a week. And obviously you just did a hundred kilometer race where you're running 60, 62 miles in a single day. And, you know, I, like I said, I had Tyler green on the podcast last week. And if you look at his training on Strava, I think he was doing 80, 85, maybe up to 90 miles a week. Uh, but with good quality and, you know, I think preparing with specificity for the race that he was doing. And it's just like, you know, I'm a moderate volume trainer myself. And so it's, I think just, uh, I identify with that so much, just like, uh, focusing on, you know, the, the quality stuff, focusing on specificity in your training and doing enough volume without overdoing it. And then arriving with just that like hunger and like willingness to, to absolutely go for it is, is so cool. So, you know, in talking about sort of your development within the sport of trail and ultra running, you started kind of in, in sky running, as I sort of mentioned already, and you had awesome results. You were traveling around on the international sky running circuit and doing great. And sky running for those who are unfamiliar is, is more well-known in, in Europe and the races are, um, you know, for the most part, steeper, more technical, but also sort of like shorter in distance. And now it seems like even though you're, you've done some sky running in recent years, you're focusing more on the longer distance races. So, and, and you've performed super well, like I said, at Western stage, which is very non-technical black Canyon, which I think is somewhat technical, but very runnable. Um, so I'm curious to hear about like your, um, you know, your opinion on, on specificity, if that's something that you and your coach work on and how you might train for a sky running race differently than you would a race like black Canyon. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I really thank you for your comments about the versatility. Cause I do feel like that's something that is fairly unique and I'm super grateful for what I've been able to figure out for myself Um, where it is super fun to like go and hammer in the mountains and be on this, you know, off trail technical run. And then to still have speed over a hundred K or something like, but I think it's, it's interesting because it's like right now I feel like I am horrible on climbing, you know, Mm. because the training just shifts so much depending on what you're training for. And then you're adapting your body and conditioning for what you need to do. So that's where even, 
you know, now it's just like, okay, well, you know, Grand Canyon's back in the back of my mind of, I missed that FKT last fall. So I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> I could sneak that in this spring. You know, I need to get my butt in gear and getting back into vert and getting strong legs for climbing. Cause that is something that is so not yeah. strong right now. Uh-huh. Um, but, but it just shows that like your training adapts and you have to be specific for what you're training for. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's where sky running, like right now, I think I'm so far from a sky runner, yeah. um, but that stuff comes back. I remember what, yeah. So after Western States, um, I had CCC on, you know, as a plan and I was able to jump in a mid race, um, in what early August. So like a month after Western, I did Tromso sky race in Norway, which is yeah. one of the most technical sky yeah. race in the world. <laughs> Thanks and to I, Killian, Killian Jornet, of course. Exactly, it is. Yeah. Yes. Such a beautiful, amazing race. Um, but I remember being out there, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so many rocks and how do I get my quick feet back? And, yeah. um, and I was super worried about it, but you just get back out there and it was that, you know, muscle memory from doing it for so long. But I remember those climbs by the end of that, man, I was worked so bad, like for the end of that race. Cause I mean, that's a, a 50, I forget if it's 50 or 55 K yeah. we're, we're running for nine hours, you know, yeah. so we're used to being out there for so long, but you're not going very far. Cause there was 15,000 feet of vert in that race. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's such a great point. I mean, I think this is just, uh, an amazing lesson, you know, for people who are listening, you know, how important specificity is in your training. This is something that my coach has really uh, instilled in me, you know, over the last seven years of us working together. And the fact that your training for Western States puts you in a position to finish second in an amazing result in an incredible race, which I want to talk about next. Um, But you know, didn't necessarily contribute to performing as well at the Tromso Sky Race, even though, you know, it's not a terrible result. I don't even know where you finished, but um, you said that you were wrecked and obviously it's only a month after Western States, but probably you would have performed better, you know, if you hadn't have done Western States and prepared specifically for the demands of that race, which is much more of a sky running race, super technical, lots of climbing, descending, I think even some sort of scrambling and stuff in there. And so I think uh, it's just an important thing for people to keep in mind is, is the specificity. It's awesome to learn a bit more about your training and, and uh, we'll talk, I think I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you did before Black Canyon, but let's save that until we start to talk about that subject in a few minutes. And like I said, I want to transition now to uh, the Western States 100 in 2019. And I'm sure you've talked about this a million times on different podcasts, but I have to say, I haven't heard you talk about it. And I'd love to talk about it, talk about it with you if you're open to it. Of course, you finished, you finished uh, (laughs) second place, a phenomenal result. Um, I thought it was your 100 mile debut, but it sounds like Leadville was uh, your 100 mile (laughs) debut years before. So maybe just uh, for people who are newer to to knowing your name, maybe they just tuned into Black Canyon and don't know as much about your history. uh, Just recount what happened there at the 2019 Western States 100 and your battle for the win with Claire Gallagher and maybe what you learned there. Well, I think so. Something I didn't touch on before is, you know, the technical running, you know, so sky running background. One thing I really think is that that translates into any type of race. 
mean, so there are, you know, Western states is not technical, but if there's snow in the beginning, you know, and now we're using our stabilizers that can trash some, you know, Black Canyon, a perfect example of that terrain will destroy you if you're not used to it. <laughs> yeah. So I really think, I mean, that kind of, you know, I was super worried about Western states, how fast are we going to go? Where am I going to end up? Um, but I really think that once we hit the snow, you know, I had an advantage because of my technical background where that did not wear me out as much. And I was able to move pretty efficiently on it. So I think, I mean, my plan was basically run 60 K, you know, conservative, but mindful, obviously. I mean, so take care of yourself, get to the 60 K mark in good shape to then start your race. And so I, it, it worked out really nicely that I got into a pretty high position early on, you know, I ran in third place, third or fourth place for majority of that first half. Um, and I, I credit a lot of that to that first snow section of just being able to take care of myself, move efficiently, and then set myself up for later on in the race, you know, just doing a little bit better. Um, so then, you know, got to the hundred K mark, pick up, picked up a pacer. Cause then the next plan was get down to the river. You know, you're not racing yet, but you're starting to really pay attention and you're primed for basically starting to haul ass after the river. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there, what, you know, Casey and I were right next to each other. I pulled ahead a little bit at that section, had a really good section getting down to the river. And then that's kind of where the excitement started of, you know, not exciting for Courtney, but unfortunately, you know, yeah. Courtney was, you know, having her hip issue at that time. So now it was kind of, you know, I remember getting to the river and my coach pulled me by my cheeks, you know, like we're face to face and he's <laughs> like, all right, you know, like we're now racing for first, which yes. was just super intense. And then, you know, and then they're pretty strategic as far as we're making as much of a, you know, hullabaloo about this. So Claire knows that I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we kind of revised the plan because the original plan, you know, get to the river crossing and then that needs to be a super strong running section um, and then get to Highway 49 crossing, you know, where you want to finish the race is what the plan was. Yeah, yeah. Which is really funny looking back because, you know, I mean, we had Cody is such a great pacer. So he just pushed me, pushed me and we made up so much time on Claire yes. um, and then caught her right before highway 49, where we literally crossed highway 49 side by side. Yeah. Um, so that was funny. Which, like, just for the listeners, I think it's important to just note, this is mile 93 of the Western States 100. <laughs> and the fact that the lead two women cross that, uh, that road uh, together has never happened in the history of the race. And it was just so dramatic and cool to be, you know, spectating that year, you guys put on an absolute show. So, so pick up the story from there. Yeah. So I kind of, I mean, I love hearing other people's accounts. Cause like, to me, it was like this slow motion fog of just, I don't know, like, you know, in my mind, as I reflect back on it, cause Claire obviously had just a phenomenal finish Yeah. Um, where I'm like, what was I even thinking? You know, cause I, I feel like she had to have been just brewing up this perfect plan mm -hmm. of get to pointed rocks and then leave me in the dust, which is exactly what she did Yeah. where I was yeah. like, Oh, you know, by the time we got to pointed rocks, I was like, why didn't I think of that? Like I'm a step behind where I just felt like I was in this fog of like, just so tired. And then like, what on earth is going on? And, and she, you know, and she's not 
dropping, like she's not like, she's sticking right with me. I passed her and she hung right on my heels, which I, you know, I was hoping that that would defeat her a little bit more, <laughs> I mean, but she was just right there. I mean, this is as a fan of the sport, it's so freaking cool, you know, and, and the fact that Claire was able to hang on and win, and we can talk about that in a second after you had caught, made up so much time, caught back up and, and tried to pass her. I mean, it's an incredible, um, I think exhibition of, of just how tough and, and talented she is, but it's just like, it's so good for the sport. I think, uh, to see two incredibly talented, strong women, like actually racing at the end there. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, ultimately you, you try to, to pass Claire and she, she ends up sort of like pulling away. And in the last like five miles, uh, she w- was able to put like 11 minutes on you before the finish line. So clearly she was like running super hard at the end. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, like if there's anything you learned there, like in those last five miles, because, you know, going from being shoulder to shoulder crossing the highway to ultimately finishing about 10 minutes back, still an incredible result. But I wonder like, did something happen there or did you sort of just like you had already expended so much energy catching up to Claire? Were you just out of gas at that point? And maybe what did you, what did you learn from that incredible experience where you came up just a little bit short that might inform your next try on the course? Uh, it's really, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like, I mean, so Point of Rock, she used the downhill and just took off. And I mean, so I love that picture from I Run Far, where it's just this chaos of, you know, the description that I heard was like, people, you know, pacers are crossing pacers and bottles are flying. And, yeah. and again, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why didn't I think of that? She just took yeah. off. I need to go. Um, and I just, I mean, I remember getting, you know, trying to push that downhill, which in my mind, we were running so slow, but Cody is like, you were putting everything out there. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I just remember like apologizing to Cody cause I'm just, I just can't go. Um, and so then we got to no hands and I think she was less than two minutes ahead of me at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the whole time, like for me, just my history in general is the last thing I want to do is the sprint you know, neck and neck on the, on the track. Yeah. So it's something I'm always, you know, it's like, whether it's chasing a cutoff, whether it's a competitor or whatever, it's like, yeah. that sounds so awful. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And then the other part of it was knowing like how hard that climb to Roby point could potentially feel. Yeah. And so I think in those, those times or in that time, you know, that climb to Roby point was not a strong infection for me because Claire yeah. had put the gas on and gapped me. And then there's enough tight turns that you really don't have a good sense of where she is. And so then when I got to Roby point, you know, the rest of my crew got there, my coach was there and it was kind of, you know, let's enjoy this. We still let's run strong, but Claire just pulled out the most insane thing ever, Yeah, you know, and she was running scared the entire, you know, through the entire finish as she's talked about um, where I think that's where some of that time came on, but reflecting back, it's like, man, it's not over till it's over. I don't know what I could have done because I was just spent. And I think, yeah, yeah, like pacing and then doing it and then not passing and surpassing. I think I just, I don't know. I just didn't have the, maybe the thought process that of what, what, what would I do next? It was so Uh, focused on catch, catch, catch. And then 
you know, like my Minnesota friends joked and said like, catch and release. That's what we do in Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, maybe that's it. (laughs) It's from all the days at the lake fishing. (laughs) I I guess so. Uh, I, I think it shows just the stamina and like the total insane depth that Claire went to is something that is inspiring. And it's like, man, I want to see if I can get there. And I think, you know, I mean, Cody pushed me super hard at the end of black Canyon, um, where I think it's just practice and exposure and, and really like, how do you get into that deep, dark place to get to that level? And you just don't know until you're in that situation again. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing the story. It's just, it's so cool. And I think so good for the sport and it's such a, a great learning experience for you too. And I mean, I'm the same, you know, I, I absolutely hate the idea of having to race the last few miles and, you know, going back a couple of years in 2018, two races in a row, I had to do that, you know, at ultra trail Mount Fuji, just like, absolutely sprinting for the last five K's to win. And then at TDS a couple of months later, like absolutely going full gas through Chamonix to, you know, where the the top three of us were separated by like a minute and a half. And it was just like, man, I remember early in my career when, you know, you knew what place you were going to finish at like four hours before you got to the finish line. And you you really do have to be ready to, to fight those last few miles. And I think Mm -hmm. the, the more, the sport develops that's just going to become more and more the case well i can't wait to see what you do at western states hopefully it happens this year and uh you can take that experience and uh maybe take one step higher on the podium so um you know let's talk about 2020 obviously a crazy weird year for all of us uh difficult to stay motivated nothing really to, to train for how did you approach 2020 maybe uh you know how did you and your coach kind of um stay on top of things stay motivated what did you learn from learn you know throughout this year any silver linings or any specific training things that you think will help you moving forward i think it was something that you know, 2020 certainly was that roller coaster for all of us. Um, definitely time, you know, ebbs and flows of super motivated. And then you had come crashing down. Like I actually later in the summer, I had signed up for um, run rabbit run, which was going on at the time and I'm super jacked, really excited to be training. Um, and then I think literally like the next day it got canceled and, you know, and I'm texting Paul and I'm like, I'm still, I want to train super hard still. And then like two days later, I'm like, I can't get out of bed. I don't want to run, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think it was rolling with those punches and just respecting the feelings of that, you know, we're all struggling and it's okay because also respecting and, and paying attention to this can be a year that hurts people, or this could be a year that helps people, you know? And so it's, it's not getting too relaxed and like getting maybe too, you know, losing your edge, um, fitness wise or competitiveness. Um, but then not overdoing it. Cause there's no sense in be pounding out, you know, huge volume, you know, if you're just going to put yourself at risk for injury. So I think we did a really good job of balancing, finding projects. I mean, it's easy. Like we, I mean, I did a 300 mile, um, FKT in Minnesota where like on a normal year, I would never be able to train for or recover from a 300 mile event Yeah, where it was, it was something fun. It was a project that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but it was something to motivate and, and 
keep my fitness up and challenge myself in a different way, which really, I actually did it the week before Western would have been. Uh, So it was kind of that like plan of reduce the salt in the wound of not being able to do Western again and go beat myself up in a totally different way that I couldn't do on a traditional year. So I think there was a lot of those moments of you know, just finding projects in the backyard, exploring. I did all of my training locally for that. So like, you know, here again, talking about Pocatello, like I did what I, we did 60 mile back-to-back runs essentially in my backyard and we hardly overlapped any trails. Wow. You know, so just really expanding and getting to the far depths of our trail system. um, I mean, was a, a fun project and a fun way of making kind of, you know, the lemonade out of lemon of, I can't travel or I, you know, I'm staying local and what am I doing with my life? Yeah. So I think, oh yeah, I I think that was just, you know, 2020 was that blend of stay fit, stay motivated, find projects. FKTs obviously are, you know, super fun and something I enjoy doing anyway. um, But was such a good way of just kind of keeping that balance over 2020. Yeah. Again, just such great advice. And clearly, you know, you, you, used the year wisely and it was reflected last weekend at the Black Canyon 100K, which I suppose we should transition to and (laughs) and talk about now so we don't take your entire afternoon. Um, So yeah, I mean, at what point did Black Canyon start to come on your radar? Uh, Was it something that you were training for specifically or did it sort of become kind of a last minute opportunity to race uh, once it became clear that the event was actually going to happen in a year when that's never really a certainty. When did that become a goal for you? Um, I would say relatively early on, um, what I went for the rim to rim to rim FKT in November, Mm. and then it was kind of, you know, recover from that. And then what's, what's next on the horizon. Um, and so Cody, he, you know, he's a big hunter. So he has the fall of like, really like, you know, getting out of shape and really just being in the mountains, trekking around and doing a lot of hunting. Mm-hmm. So after that, you know, I'm kind of gearing down after rim to rim to rim and he's majorly gearing up in his training. So, you know, a little bit of FOMO there of like, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> um, and so he ended up signing up for Bandera you know, and major FOMO of, I want to go, but yep. he's done so much for me you know, so I should prioritize being there for him. Um, so then it was like, well, the natural thing, you know, as far as racing then is what's the next golden ticket, you know, just looking for a competitive race, looking for a race to basically kind of dust out the cobwebs of let's get a big race under my belt, a longer race where you have to, you know, have proper nutrition and you feel those, you know, last 20 miles of fatigue that you're not used to on regular training runs Um, so, so black Canyon became the plan. Um, so it was definitely a specific training block going into black Canyon using the energy from Bandera. Um, and then just praying to God that, that black Canyon was a go. Um, and yeah, and then it just worked out really well. 
Yeah. Heck yeah. And you mentioned just like needing to, to blow the cobwebs off. And this is something that I asked Tyler as well, coming off a year where there wasn't really any racing opportunity, uh, going into it. Did you have confidence in your preparation? Uh, did you feel rusty at all? Obviously the, the result wouldn't indicate that you were rusty in any way. Uh, but I'm wondering what it felt like to toe the line after such a long time. And if you felt, uh, rusty, or if you were just confident and energized and, and feeling good about the 60 miles ahead? Yeah, I had, so I had one workout that like kind of, that was a pivotal workout. I mean, it was only 10 miles, but it was tempo 10 miles, held a pretty good pace where I think after that, it was like, I haven't run a workout like that for a while. So it was that, it was definitely a confidence boost comparing the previous workouts, previous training blocks of, my fitness is high, you know, a lot can happen in 60 miles. And I think, um, you know, I, I knew that fitness was there, but actually, I mean, my last hundred K was CCC and CCC was not my strongest race. Yeah. And I had nutrition errors, got behind and had a pity party and walked for like half the race. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, was, so I it think, was 18 months ago at this point too. It's such yeah, a long exactly. time ago. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm so asking. You know, like if I feel like, you know, even though I feel relatively fit right now, it's like, man, I, I don't know if I remember how to race. So, uh, right. To, to, yeah. I mean, I think that was a big, a big part of it was, you know, kind of having that comeback of confidence, because really the physical aspect was there. It was, it was keeping the mental or getting that mental aspect back. Yeah. Um, not that CCC had been weighing on me, but I mean, intermittently of like, oh, am I going to screw up my nutrition again? Yeah. You know, because you don't get, you know, tons of practice in those latter parts of the races where nutrition can make it or break it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was that balance of just feeling super primed physically energized to start the line, but then that healthy respect of, you know, you have to be smart. And, and I think too, the last change, the last minute change of, um, black Canyon being relatively unsupported, you know, you, you can yeah. have curb access for 50 miles, um, which, I mean, there's plenty of aid stations. So yeah. it was, it was very well supported, but not having your crew kind of up that ante of yeah. this is the best practice of getting back on the horse and, and reaffirming to myself, I know what to do. I, I can do this and just kind of getting that behind me and having a successful, just execution again was really nice. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So circling back to your training that we already talked about earlier, let's talk about how, that, uh, how you, you train specifically for black Canyon. Of course you live in Pocatello, Idaho, where winter exists. It's not Phoenix. You said that you focus mostly on speed in the winter, which obviously helped you, but also going back to our conversation about specificity, it's not as if you could really train specifically for the black Canyon course. And by all indications, I've never been on the trail, but everybody says that it's much more difficult than it appears on paper. Something I talked to Tyler about as well. Um, talk about the, the training that you did before the race. You know, it seems like it was probably mostly road focused. And if there was anything that you did to help prepare for the specific demands of black Canyon. And if not, um, yeah, like what the, the training that you did, why you think it, it seemed to work so well for the terrain that you encountered. 
Yeah. So, I mean, certainly Pocatello was challenging. Um, so again, like the fortunate balance of my career is I had winter vacation. So we drove South. <laughs> so really, I mean, Cody was in his peak training for band or yeah, for Bandera. Yeah. Um, so we, we ended up taking our van and driving to basically the black Canyon course. So it kind of oh, benefited great. both of us. Yeah. So, yeah. so when, this was so, around Christmas time or something. Yep. Just like the week before Christmas. So we, I mean, we just took two weeks in our van and just kind of hit, you know, off the beaten path trail in the desert. We were in St. George for a little bit outside of Vegas for a little bit and then parked it for probably four days on the black Canyon course. Um, so that mean knowing the whole course running the whole course made a huge difference. Um, and then I'd say my peak training again, we were going to go to St. George. It's only like six or seven hours South from where I live. Um, but then we, it was crappy weather pretty much everywhere. So it's like, I'm not going to drive seven hours for like 40 degrees and a ton of rain. So we started looking at flights and we found out, you know, 150 bucks to get to Phoenix. So I actually went for my peak training weekend, went back to Phoenix because it was affordable. Yeah. Um, Took a long weekend and did my peak training back on the course, which you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one where it's like, I don't need to see every step of the course. Um, but for black Canyon, you know, just that first half being pretty aggressive downhill, or it can be, it can feel like aggressive downhill. And then knowing that there's a lot more climbing, a lot more up and down, and then a lot more like the technical features of black Canyon really come in that second half. Yeah. I mean, I do like back to back kind of long runs for my peak training, So my second day was on, you know, on the second part of the course, um, which I think was really, really helpful having, again, that specificity um, for the Black Canyon course and then knowing how tired I was that second day and just how careful you have to be in that front half of the course. Yeah. Brittany, this is brilliant. You know, you're just, I think, dropping so much knowledge right now that I think will help so many people. And I think it goes back to something that I like to talk about a lot. And that is just like investing in yourself and investing in your performance. And, you know, for you, obviously it's nice to take a little vacation down to a place where it's sunny, but yeah, I mean, you have to shell out some cash to live on the road for a little bit. You got to buy that extra plane ticket, but man, like investing in that performance, paid off so huge this past weekend. And and so, yeah, I mean, not only the specificity, but you know, it's not, I mean, you could have trained other, other places in the desert. You could have gone to Moab or Fruta or something like that, but spending time on the actual course, preparing for it specifically, shelling out the money that it takes to actually get there and do that is just like, that's what professionals do. So kudos to you. That's, it's really cool. And it's great to see it pay off for you. So we haven't talked about the race yet. So let's, let's talk about that. I mean, um, it's the, the men's race was a little bit more dramatic. You, you sort of had, had control. It seems like of the the women's race for, for most of the day, it was incredible to, to watch. You just executed flawlessly, but maybe talk about how the, the race played out. Give us a little blow by blow. I know, uh, early in the race, you were running mostly with Addie Bracey and, um, Lisa Roberts was a little bit ahead of you guys, uh, before you ultimately took a comfortable lead in the second half of the race and just, you know, sort of ran away with it pretty easily. Uh, yeah. Give us the blow by blow of the race, how it played out, any highs and lows that you want to share. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, really, it was kind of that who's going to take it out, you know, not not I mean, with a golden ticket on the line and Addie and I both not needing one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of that question of are those people going to be more conservative or not? And, you know, is somebody going to take a chance out front? Is that someone going to be me? I don't know. Um, and, and so it kind of played out, we had a decent pack, like seven or eight of us, maybe in the first, you know, seven miles. And then Sarah Kyes and Lisa Roberts kind of took it on that next downhill stretch where they put on some good distance and Addie went with them. So I was sitting in fourth and then there's kind of a pack of girls, um, with me where, I mean, running strong, but letting them go essentially, and so, I mean, the nice thing, you can see exactly where everyone is. And I had a good sense. And by the time I got to mile 20, you know, I still saw Lisa Roberts and Addie. Wait, I forget who was out ahead. I think I saw, I saw Sarah Kyes and Addie go into the aid station. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa was ahead of them by a little bit. Um, but I was able to catch up to Sarah and then catch up to Addie fairly quickly after that aid station and started climbing again. It was more definitely reminded me of like the Auburn Lakes trail section of Western States where it's just kind of those little pockets going in and out more climbing than you really think. It was cool at that point. So it was, it was good running um, where I was just feeling really good. So got, got to Addie, you know, and and it's like, we're only at mile 25 here. There's no need to really be killing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I mean, really I was watching the time and I'm like, we are running incredibly fast for a 50 K. I mean, like we, Addie and I came through the 50 K we had passed Lisa by that time, but we came through the 50 K in like 403. I'm like, Hey, there's a a huge course record right there. If you can (laughs) put that, like that's a little dangerous for a front half being really fast and second half being harder. Um, so really like, I know I was feeling my quads at that, you know, that halfway point where it's just like, all right, was that too aggressive? Was that, you know, was it okay? Are my quads going to blow up or can I hold on to them? And I think it really was nice that there was more climbing that second half because it was like those natural breaks of my quads are done. Mm -hmm. So we get to climb. So I'm going to use my glutes more and then (laughs) I'm tired on my climbing. So my, my quads can take a little bit more pounding on the downhill. And so it really was able to just take care of myself enough to like kind of baby things along and squeeze a little bit more out of the quads um, just with the rolling terrain where you could get some of those breaks. So at what point did you take the lead for good? And, uh, is there any, any, uh, highlights or maybe things that you learned from, uh, you know, such a strong performance pulling away in the second half and and just growing your lead from there? Yeah. So coming into what black Canyon city aid station, so that was mile 37, you know, so, and anyone that followed the race just saw how era Vipa put everything into their media and just did such a wonderful job where, you know, it's finally, you're, you're kind of coming off of this long stretch of kind of loneliness, really of like quiet and not a lot of people out there. And then, you know, they have drones and there's guys following you with the camera. And then you come into Black Canyon City where there's actually people around. So I feel like that was a really good section to climb up and then the descend down into the aid station. And that's where I put a little distance on Addy. Um, and I think I didn't realize until I went back and kind of looked through some of the footage, like she left black Canyon city. Like I took more time in the aid station. She left hot on my heels 
but then I didn't see her at all. Like by the time I had kind of gotten back away from everybody. So, so I think I just had a good section climbing out of black Canyon city and then descending back down to the river to a point. Then when we got into the bigger climbs, I think I had put a pretty decent gap on Addie. And then that went into, I think like a nine mile stretch without a, like without an aid station. Mm -hmm. And it was getting hot at that point. So I think really, you know, that, I think that was a really, really challenging section for a lot of people. And I just got super lucky where I, you know, I mean, I was catching a lot of the guys from wave one. So I had people, you know, giving me a lot of cheers out on the course and just kind of having somebody to chase was really helpful at that point in the race. And then just nutrition and hydration were on point where I never got to a point where I was behind. And so that nine mile stretch was okay versus turning it into, you know, like I'm barely making it, which I think was a struggle for some people. So really, I mean, I, looking back, I don't really, I didn't have a huge low anywhere. I mean, I think my biggest low was in the beginning, where it was more of that worry of, you know, am I, you know, I don't feel super comfortable and I know we're running fast, you know, am I screwing it up for later, which is always great to have your low when it's early instead (laughs) of later. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. If you can pull it off, it's good. (laughs) I mean, and it really, I don't even know if it counts as a low, like it was more of just in your head, like worrying, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so like take those cause they do not come often. So really, really fortunate. Yeah. Um, but then got, I mean, it was basically from that aid station, then it was like four to five miles until you could finally pick up a pacer. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of just struggle through it, get to, get to my pacer, get to my pacer was like the mantra I was using. Yeah. And, you know, got to that aid station and my coach was basically like, Brittany, turn your brain off and just follow Cody. And Cody put me in the hurt locker and kept me. I mean, it's funny because like (laughs) how far ahead was I, you know, and Cody, of course, is like, she gained, you know, she gained on you. She's only back seven minutes now, like totally lying. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, she could make up like a minute per mile, you know, like I'm running pretty strong still at that point, but you just have no idea. So I'm like, she could catch up. Like, I don't, you know, the last thing I want to do is run so hard and then bonk at the end and get caught. Um, But in in fact, we added extra time on them because he was able to just keep me going like motivation. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. You know, I didn't realize that that Cody had run with you there. And it makes me realize that, you know, Tyler uh, ran with his wife, Rachel, to the finish. And they're obviously super, super strong kind of ultra power couple. And, and Rachel ended up winning the 60 K the day, the day after, and you and Cody ran together the last 10 or 12 miles. So the two, the two power couples, uh, mm-hmm. were able to close the deal there on the black Canyon course and kudos to you on an amazing victory. It was really an impressive performance. And I think a great validation of how you spent 2020 and how you trained through the winter and how you trained specifically for the race. So I guess let's talk about what's, uh, what's ahead for you. I know you were on the list for the Lake Sonoma 50 miler and they just announced on Monday that, uh, unfortunately that's going to be postponed until Labor Day in September. And I'm so, so sad about it. I don't know if you looked at the ultra signup list, but that was going to be the strongest women's field 
ever assembled, I think Western states included, uh, on North American soil. And uh, unfortunately, that's uh, that's no longer going to happen. So with Lake Sonoma off the docket, but still with at least some chance that Western states is going to happen, what are you thinking about doing this spring? Any other races or personal projects that you think might fit well in your lead up to Western states where you'll hopefully, uh, you know, take one step higher on the podium <laughs> be nice right. um i think yeah a lot of it kind of depends because lake sonoma i i mean i rolled over from last year so it was something that i certainly would have liked to do but it was also something let's just see how the rest of the spring goes and my priority is being healthy and having a good training block going into western and not and not feeling burnt out of racing which i don't think we could at this point <laughs> um, but being conscious of that too because i know like two years ago i went into western so i was injured basically all winter um, where i went into it super fresh because i hadn't beat myself up too much so so i think that's kind of my plan but at the same time knowing that i'm not like mentally burnt out on racing and I'm actually energized and, you know, wanting to keep building from here. So I think certainly look, I haven't looked to see like what other races would something fit or is there something I want to do? Um, I did text my coach, you know, only a couple days after the race where it's like, all right, I could consider Grand Canyon in the spring. Um, cause originally it's like, well, Grand Canyon, it's a, um, it's a crapshoot of what's the snow going to be like. Yeah. So, so I think it's also like, that's a big effort of another hammering your quads, another like different type of training that I would want to make sure wouldn't impede the runnable training I need for Western. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if it took that Lake Sonoma time frame, there would still be enough time to have a good block, but that's to be determined. Cause I'm not, I don't, you know, if, if something else, else comes up or something complements Western training better, um, then that could push off. But it's like all these races are pushing into the fall yeah. where, you know, I, I might not have time or be able to prioritize maybe another FKT attempt, um, this fall if, if things are getting delayed. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I don't really know. Um, but Western States is kind of the priority and the focus. Yeah. Hopefully. Of course it is, as it should be. Well, Brittany, I've so enjoyed this conversation. It's great to get to know you more. Congratulations on such an awesome race last weekend. Uh, I think there's so much that people can learn from in our discussion here, and I'm so appreciative of your time. So congratulations again, and uh, good luck with whatever uh, is on your plate between now and Western States. And uh, I've got my fingers crossed that Western States will in fact happen. And if it does, I'll be uh, really looking forward to seeing, seeing you race there again. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. And it was super fun to chat with you. How awesome was that? 
How Great Is Britney? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you pulled out some good lessons from that one. I know that I sure did. If you don't already, please do go follow Britney on Instagram, which I've linked to in the show notes along with her amazing Black Canyon 100K Victory Strava file. You'll find that in the show notes as well. Before we go, of course, I've got to ask, download, subscribe to our app. As I said at the beginning of the show, it really does make a huge difference. Your support goes a long way. And I think it's a great product that will help make you a better trail runner. So please do go check that out. And if you can spare 60 seconds, leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. That really does help the show as well. Please do reach out if you guys have any feedback, if you have ideas for guests. I always love hearing from you. Drop me a DM on Instagram at Dylan Bow and uh, would love to interact with you. But thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate each and every one of you. Love you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.